if you're interested in soccer at all, then this is the time when the talk is all about the transfer market. What players are moving on from their clubs, where they are going, and of course how much it's all going to cost. So if you're interested, uh, Lionel Messi, he's moving from PSG in France to Inter Miami in the States in a deal that's something worth, worth something like $150 million. English midfielder, the guy in the middle, Jude Bellingham, he's moved on from, to Spain's Real Madrid for over $100 million, $100 million pounds signing on fee. And after lots of speculation, the guy on your, on your right, Declan Rice, he's decided to sign for Arsenal for £105 million. Now maybe that means nothing to you, maybe it just sounds all madness to you. But what it does show is that loyalty to your club is a very rare thing in soccer. For the, for the best price, for the, for the right price, most players can be enticed to leave for a new team and for new opportunities. And we can see this in lots of different aspects of life too. Many of us regularly switch electricity or broadband suppliers as we're enticed by the discounts that these companies give to new customers. If you don't do it, you're supposed to do it because it's supposed to save you a whole load of hundreds of euros every couple of years. Okay? You can, you can do the big switch as they talk about. The same lack of loyalty exists in the job market. In the States, the average time workers spend with their employers has now dropped to just over four years. And then you move on to your next job, and your next job, and your next job. It's very different from a guy called Walter Orthman, who has the world record for the longest career in a single company. He worked for a textile manufacturer in Brazil for an incredible 84 years. Years. 84 years. So, so if you've only been working for 10, 20, 30 years in your company, well, you've just started. You've only got another 50 odd years to go. And that encouraging thought this morning. And then that lack of loyalty is also an issue within the retail industry. Many businesses try to overcome that lack of loyalty with what they call loyalty cards or even with uh, special days when their loyal customers can get extra discounts like coming up with Amazon, Amazon's Prime Day. If you've seen all the adverts for that uh, on all of the media. It's coming up this week. But this lack of loyalty isn't just out there in the world. It also can seep into our Christian lives. As I've seen, the original readers of this letter to the Hebrews were being enticed to a transfer of loyalty. They'd put their faith in Jesus, but they were being tempted to go back to Judaism. Back to Judaism with its sanctuary and its priesthood and its sacrifices and its rituals and its relative safety from persecution. And so in this last chapter of Hebrews, the writer once again, it's a very loud, tiny little lorry, eh, the writer once again called on his readers to a, a better loyalty. 
Loyalty not just to Christ, but also to his truth and also to his people. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, down to verse 14, and Mags is going to come up and she's going to read for us. Thanks, Mags. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he wore. For here we we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Thank you, Max. As we thought about last week, we can be a bit forgetful when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through times of persecution. And so we were encouraged to remember those in prison as if you yourselves were their fellow prisoners. But this is also the case for those who have shared the gospel with us. We can be forgetful. And so our passage began, verse 7, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. It seems that the writer here is specifically thinking about those who were leading in the church communities, by, by, especially through teaching God's word. Those, those men who in other parts of the New Testament are called elders or overseers or pastors. But I think you can apply this principle to, to anybody who has discipled us over our lives, to our friends, to Bible study leaders, to youth group leaders, anybody who's spoken God's word into our lives. We need to listen to them. We need to allow them to lead us. We need to follow their example. Or as it says in verse 7, to imitate their faith. Now if you are in any leadership role, then that's a solemn reminder. That we need to be faithful to teaching God's word. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said this in 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. It is an incredible privilege to speak God's word into someone else's life. But it's also an immense responsibility. We need to be faithful in sharing the truth of it without compromising it. Without kind of being forced to, to change it, or to alter it, or to adapt it, or to make it more adaptable, or make it more uh, presentable to people. So we need to preach God's word faithfully. 
But that's only part of the responsibility of leadership. We're not just called to teach with words. We're also called to teach with our actions, with our example. So that others might imitate us. The Pharisees, they said some really good things. Some of them, to some extent, they were faithful in teaching the truth of what the Bible said. But they didn't live it out in their lives. So this is what Jesus said about them. Do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They stood up in the synagogues and said a lot of good things. But then they lived completely differently when they went home. Jesus, he was the exact opposite of that, wasn't he? He perfectly lived out what he preached. So his call to discipleship wasn't just do what I say. It was come, follow me. He lived a life that was perfect so that we could follow that perfectly, knowing that if we follow Jesus, then we're following God's will for our lives. Now, none of us are going to reach that perfect standard this side of eternity. But we are called to follow Jesus' footsteps in seeking to live a life that's an example for other people. This is what Paul also told, told Timothy. He said, don't, look any, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers. Set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set an example. Yes, preach the word, but live a life that's an example to others. And this is something that Peter also taught the church leaders that he was writing to. He urged them not to lead by lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to your flock. That's what Christian leadership looks like. That's why Christian leadership is so challenging. That's why being a parent is so challenging. That's why being a youth group leader is so challenging. Or that's why discipling somebody else in any, any form of, of, of our ministry is so challenging. Because it's not just what we say that counts. It's also how we live. In fact, I think we lead first and foremost through our example. So are we living a life that's worthy of imitation. Would we be happy for people to follow our example and how we live? Not just on Sunday mornings when we all look our best, because you all look great today, but every day of the week. It's a sobering question, isn't it? But it's one that we must face up to. That's how we lead others through our example. But the focus really on verse 7, the focus of this is not so much on the responsibility of the leaders. It's actually on the other side of the coin. It's on the responsibility of the followers. It's a call for us who are following to remember the leaders, our leaders, and to imitate their faith. And again, the focus is not so much on those who lead us today, We'll see that next week, the focus on that. 
But the focus here is that on those who have spoken God's word into our lives in the past and have now gone on to be with the Lord. That's why the writer told us, verse 7, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. He warned, wanted his, leaders to, his readers to take time to think about those who had shared the gospel with them. Think about all that they did. Think about how they lived their lives. Think about what they accomplished. How they were faithful to the end. And if they did that, if they took time to think about this, the writer was sure that they would see that whatever it cost them to follow Jesus, whatever struggles they faced, trusting in Jesus and following him to the end was worthwhile. And he wanted them to remember that so that they would be loyal to their memory and they would follow in their footsteps. The faithfulness of those past believers would inspire them to be faithful in their commitment to the Lord today. And I think it would be really good for us to do the same. To remember those who have gone before us, who have faithfully followed Jesus and shared the gospel with us and follow their example. Now some of us can do that with people that we've known personally. Often think about a guy uh, called Jackie Boyd who is from, who was from our church in Scotland. He was an old guy when I got to know him. Uh, sorry for those who are at the same age. But he was extremely passionate about Jesus and about sharing his faith. He was in his 80s and he was still writing songs and recording them, singing them and, and playing them on his piano accordion. Maybe not my type of music, but, but he was being effective to those he was reaching out to. And every time that we went back to this to this church, he would make a point of seeking me out, probably usually at the end when everybody else had gone, and to telling me about all the things that he'd been reading in the Bible recently. How it encouraged him, how it inspired him, because he wanted to inspire and encourage me. He's gone to be with the Lord now. don't know if there's piano accordions in heaven, but if there is, I'm sure he's playing it. There's also people who have impacted our lives without us actually meeting them and personally. One of those that I've listened to over the years, who's been a, a running partner with me, so, so to speak, is a guy called Tim Keller. I don't know if you've, you've ever heard some of his teaching. He passed away a couple of months ago. But his life and his commitment to share the gospel carefully, gently, winsomely has been an inspiration to many. We can remember their example and imitate their faith. We can almost also do that with people from the past. People that we've never met or actually never lived in the same time as us. We can read their biographies, their life stories. I've, I've never been a great reader. Some of you guys are, are incredible. You read a book a day or something like that. That just blows my mind. It takes me weeks and weeks and weeks to wade through a book. But when I was a kid, I read a, a little bit more and read some stories about some amazing people who'd lived their lives for God. William Carey, 
who shared his shared the gospel in India, or Hudson Taylor, who served in China, or William Tyndall, who risked his life to translate the Bible into English, or George Mueller, who in Bristol cared for 10,000 orphans and established a hundred schools. It's important for us to remember those who have been before us, who have shared their faith with us, so that we can remember their example and that we can imitate their faith. But why does this matter? So what if people live for God in the past? Because our circumstances, our lives are so different from them. What relevance do their lives have for us if our, if our lives are disconnected by, by maybe just a few years or in some of the cases I mentioned, by hundreds of years? Well, this is the reason why it matters. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. As the Son of God, Jesus is what the theologians call immutable. He's unchanging. As he was in the past, so he is in the present, so he will be in the future. It's a truth that can bring us so much encouragement and comfort and strength in our lives. Jesus is the one constant in our lives. We live in a world that's constantly changing. And yet Jesus remains the same. He is the solid foundation or the the rock, as we've been singing about this morning, on which to build our lives. One that will never shift, never crumble, never walk away. He is a solid foundation for us because he's unchanging. But this also means that if Jesus was able to work through ordinary men and women in the past, if he was faithful to them, if he empowered them to overcome incredible challenges, if he led them into a life to the full, if he was enough to satisfy their hearts, then he can be all of those things. To us today. We need to be loyal to the memory of those who have spoken God's word to us because the one that they spoke about is still with, with us today. And he is still the same. But that also means that we need to be loyal to the truth that they taught us. And reject anything that contradicts that. Look at verse 9. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. For the original readers, the temptation was that to go back to Judaism with its feasts and its festivals. It's a very much a community experience. A joyous, happy experience. And the temptation was that the claim was that there was spiritual nourishment from God as being part of those fellowships, being part of that community, eating in those feasts. 
But the writer wanted these people to know that all of those religious rituals and ceremonies could never meet their deepest needs. Look at what he said, verse 9. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. Not by ceremonial foods. Which are of no value to those who eat them. What we need is God's grace. And His grace is not dependent on going through religious rituals. In fact, those Jewish ceremonies had been rendered redundant by Jesus' death and resurrection. No longer valid. No longer needed. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians about. He said in Colossians chapter 2, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, or a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The purpose of all of these special days, all of these sacrifices, all of these feasts, was simply to point to Jesus. And so if we have put our faith in Jesus, we don't need to go back to those shadows anymore. We have the reality of His presence in our lives and His grace. And Jesus is all that we need. Or as verse 10 puts it, we have an altar from those, from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Far from needing to go back to those Old Testament rituals, or even those Old Testament like religious rituals and ceremonies that we have around us today, as followers of Jesus, we've been brought to a new altar where Jesus laid down his life for us. And so we have a new covenant relationship with God. A new freedom from sin. A new access into His presence. A new source of spiritual sustenance. We can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might find mercy, receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't need to be carried away by all signs of strange teaching. We don't need to be tempted by the rituals and ceremonies of other religions. We don't need to be drawn away by the slick presentations of some teachers on the internet. We don't need all that. We can be loyal to God's truth. Because Jesus is satisfying. Jesus is all that we need. So ultimately, this passage is a call for us to be loyal to God's Son. Whatever it costs. And it will cost us. Following Jesus always costs us. I think the way that some people respond when they're confronted with this cost Sounds like they've never really heard that. They still think that following Jesus means that that life will be easy and life will be good and everything will work out. That's not the case, folks. Following Jesus is costly. It's difficult. 
For the original readers of this letter, it was intensely costly. They were being ridiculed. They were being rejected. They were being persecuted. Sometimes directly, violently. And yet the author still called them to be loyal to Jesus. And he taught this again through looking back to the Old Covenant, back to the Old Testament. He thought back to that day of atonement. The day when the high priest could enter into the most holy place with a a blood sacrifice. And he says in verse 11, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. So the, the high priest would get these animals, he would kill them, He would take their blood and take the blood into the most holy place and sprinkle it before the the Ark of the Covenant. But then the bodies would be taken outside the camp because outside the camp was seen as a place that was unholy. Because that was an appropriate place for the bodies of those animals on which the, the sins of the people had ceremonially, symbolically, been placed. It was a picture of God taking away the sins of the people. But this also powerfully pointed forward to Jesus. Look at verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his blood. Just like those animals were taken outside of the camp to be destroyed, so Jesus was led outside of the gates of Jerusalem to die in agony and shame on a cross ridiculed, rejected by his people but Jesus willingly went there so that he could lay down his life for us as a sacrifice for our sins to make us holy and perfect in God's sight So if Jesus willingly took upon himself the ridicule and rejection of this world for them, then surely these people should be willing to stand loyally for Jesus, no matter what it cost. Let us then, verse 13, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. How could they think that the cost of following Jesus, being loyal to Jesus, was too great when Jesus bore the disgrace of the cross for them? And it's the same for us too, isn't it? Our circumstances are again very different. But following Jesus still means that we go against the flow. Still requires us to be different from those around us still often will result in being rejected or ridiculed or despised. But guys, how could we ever say that that's too great a cost? How could we ever say, well, I'm not willing to accept that? And Jesus gave up everything for us. But not only that, Through his sacrifice, we are so blessed. We might lose the approval and the acceptance of the world. 
Our friends and family might think we're gone mad. But when we turn away from this world, we go, as it says in verse 13, we go to him outside the camp. We lose the world. But we gain Jesus. That's a good deal, isn't it? And he can offer us something that this world can never offer. Look at verse 14. For here, we do not have an enduring city. But we are looking forward for the city that is to come. Whatever this world offers us. And it's got lots lots to offer. Whatever it offers us, fun, friendship, pleasure, success, career, money, the, the whole works. Whatever it's got to offer us. It's going to pass away. All of it's temporary. But the security that Jesus offers us is going to last forever. So it really shouldn't be a difficult choice. Whatever it costs us, we should choose Jesus. An old hymn that says this, Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. But his love abides forever. Through eternal years. The same. We might live in a world where there's not much loyalty. But as believers in Jesus, we're called to a better way. To be loyal to those godly leaders who shared the gospel with us. To be loyal to God's truth that they shared with us. And to be loyal to God's Son, whom they pointed us to. That's because Jesus is the only one who can provide the satisfaction that we long for. And the security that we need. That's because He is the same yesterday and today. And forever.